Taking care of our mental health is just as important as taking care of our physical health. Our mental and physical health are inseparable. When we are mentally unwell, it is not isolated just in the brain, but instead affects the whole body and our overall well-being. By now, most, if not all of us, understand the impact that COVID-19 can have on our physical health. But what about the impact to our mental health? The fear and anxiety caused by the disruption to life as we know it and the social isolation that is required to keep people physically safe can pose a real threat to our mental health. If you have been feeling fearful, depressed, panicked, anxious, or lonely, we understand you. New stressors arrive each day, making mental health in times of crisis a daily pursuit. These new challenges are shaping who we are as individuals and as communities. The question is, how do we rise to those challenges with resiliency? This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being your own instincts in response to the stress that's going on right now are real, are valid, and in some ways the emotions are good to feel. It's okay to to acknowledge it in a way to honor it. We don't need to run from it or suppress it. I'm here with Dr. Christine Moutier. She is a psychiatrist and the chief medical officer for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. She first joined me on the WorkWell podcast series in 2018 to discuss mental health in the workplace. Today, we'll focus on the connection between social distancing, or as I prefer to call it, physical distancing, and how we can stay mentally healthy during times of crisis. So first, I want to ask you, how are you doing? I am doing okay. Thank you for asking. It's, you know, every day brings some new um, challenges and sometimes a fire to put out or a really cool opportunity to respond to. At AFSP, we've got our chapter network spread across all 50 states. And so as you can imagine, different things and different needs are going on all the time, and they've turned all of their suicide prevention and mental health programming into a virtual format mm. for for the larger communities. So, um, you know, lots lots of good work going on. And if anything, it's it's just such a time where our passion and advocacy around mental health is actually coming into the spotlight in some ways in a good way. I mean, obviously out of necessity, but there are parts of that that, that do feel um, gratifying to, to be ready to respond. We're in the midst of this global pandemic. Anxiety and worry, I know for me, are kind of common daily emotions now. So what tips do you have for recognizing and working through anxiety and other difficult emotions, uh, given where we are in the world. Yeah, I think it's a time where a little bit of extra proactivity and also compassion for yourself mm -hmm. and for others is it will go a long way. And I think the first thing is just realizing that your 
your own emotions, your own instincts in response to the stress that's going on right now are, are, are real, are valid. And in some ways, the emotions are good to feel. It's okay to, um, you know, to acknowledge it in a way to honor it. We don't need to run from it or suppress it. And I know that's uncomfortable for some people who aren't as well practiced at just, you know, having a self-reflective moment or letting yourself feel um, the intensity of it at, at least for a moment, and then realize that that feeling isn't going to take over your life. You then will come back into your mind and you have choices to make, actions that you can take to, um, you know, to decide what is the, what's the best strategy for you at that point. And, and so, you know, there are so many effective strategies for managing and um, working through this stressful time, the uncertainty, the anxiety, and there's lots of sort of cognitive strategies, if you will, that that we could definitely talk about. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that. What are what are some of those strategies? Yeah. Okay. Great. So, I mean, here's here's one concept that a big part of what's creating anxiety for us is the level of uncertainty around so many different aspects of what's going on right now. And as human beings in our brains, in our minds, the way we are hardwired, we want to create a plan, we want to feel in control, and, and we, we need to have a sense of, of certainty. And we can even use a fair amount of healthy denial in, mo in the normal times in life, honestly, <laughs> you know, to kind of go about our routines and our, our, our day to day life and work. Right now, uncertainty is in our face so much more. And so it is very helpful, actually, to kind of just pro provide yourself with a little bit of um, getting your head around it more by deciding for yourself what is out of your control and what is in your control mm -hmm. and trying to stay focused on those things that we do have control over because it's actually quite a lot. You know, yeah. it's, it's how, how we choose to um, organize our day, how we choose to connect with and, and who to connect with to the extent that we have some, control over, you know, who is in our household or who we're letting in through virtual meetings and um, all those things that we're doing to connect, you can actually um, shape the way that goes perhaps a little bit more than you think. And I mean, so that's, that's one of the concepts about addressing uncertainty and trying to regain some sense of sort of power over that rather than feeling helpless and powerless. And then another um, another neat concept that really comes out of Marty Seligman's work in positive psychology mm -hmm. is around the idea of um, that we can actually sort of inoculate ourselves from overwhelming stress, anxiety, and depression by using some cognitive exercises. And one that, that he's just written about most recently that I really love because it's so simple and it's so intuitive, but again, it's a way for our minds to create some definition around what's going on is to first let yourself think about the absolutely worst case scenario and then move into what is your best case scenario that your mind can come up with. And then the next step is consider and think about what is the most realistic scenario and then move forward with your planning steps based on that realistic scenario. 
And again, I think it just helps organize your brain rather than it all swirling around in a big kind of black hole of uncertainty and unknown. Um, and, and again, that inoculation, like then what happens next in, in life, because we're every day is a new set of variables in front of us, we can, I think, just adapt to it a little bit better with some definition around it. Yeah, something that works really well for me that I've been doing quite a bit of um, is reframing. And so, you know, concepts like, you know, I I have to work from home to I'm incredibly blessed and I get to work from home and I have the capacity and the capability to do that. What do you think about that as a strategy? Yeah, I love it. I think reframing is very much um, tied to... Uh, a practice of gratitude. That's another kind of, you know, angle on that reframing. It's also links up with some of the things I was saying just earlier, that it's a way to realize what you do have in your control, or those things that are the silver linings going on. And um, I mean, I think, you know, we do so many of these things very intuitively, especially if we've been through, you know, past struggles and all of us have, of course, but especially if you've taken that extra step to say, get therapy and have had the the guided experience of learning some techniques that you found really useful for yourself. I mean, um, again, now is the time to go back to those things that you know do work for yourself and also for all of us to be trying some of those new things. I I love the concept because the reframing thing is just so simple in that way and yet absolutely powerful. If you are experiencing unusual amounts of, of worry, anxiety, stress, perhaps depression, how do, you, how do you know when to ask for help? Like at what point should you reach out to ask for help and, and where can one go to get help right now? Yeah, great points. Um, well, my personal view is that as a society, we haven't learned about when to kind of recognize when it's time to seek help because we've been so well practiced at writing everything off to the stress or the circumstance of the moment that we haven't realized that certainly while things absolutely are tied to the the things happening in our life moment by moment, that there's nothing incorrect about that, but it kind of almost takes a passive approach then like, well, so let's just wait and see then when this stressor ends, how I'm doing then. Um, Or, well, wouldn't anybody be that stressed out if they were going through X, Y, or Z? And that's a very, I actually view that as a very dangerous, um, but yet common and alluring um, way of thinking because it, it says it, On the one hand, I I completely agree that these are all, we're all having very normal human responses. In a way, it's like a trauma response. There's a human Mm -hmm. response to that. That's completely natural. And yet, it it doesn't mean that we don't seek help for those things. And so so if, for example, you're finding that your sleep is is being disrupted and you're having trouble self-managing that and getting it back intact, that is is a sure sign that um, that it's time to try something new. At least get some input on on what can be done to manage 
what's going on, if, if not a specific sleep strategy, but even just a stress management strategy um, or you know, therapy for the anxiety specifically. If you find that the anxiety that which most of us are having some degree of, most certainly right now, but if you find that it's sort of all consuming and that your, your, your worry is front and center and it's very hard to focus on anything else um, and of course, that's one of the reasons that that the, we're we're all saying really limit your media intake right now, mm-hmm. and absolutely avoid sensationalized information right now because it's just fuel for that fire of anxiety. Um, but you know, some people are very much more vulnerable to going down that deep anxiety um, hole that it takes us into. And, and we don't realize that it is something that is treatable because it feels so, so in line with reality <laughs> that the, the circumstance that we're in. And yet the ramifications of it in your life and your health, it can also be a very physical response. If you find that you're having headaches, um, I already mentioned the sleep disruption, but changes in your appetite, you're, if you're overusing alcohol or substances, um, that your physical tension in your body, sexual dysfunction can happen related to stress and overwhelming anxiety. All of those physical signs would also be indicators that it's it's time to seek professional help. And so where, I mean, I, I know, you know, kind of some of our usual ways that yes. we would we would seek help um, have changed. So So where can one go to get help right now? Yeah. Well, if you are somebody with an employer that offers an employee assistance program or a health insurance plan, those would be, I would say, your two first line places to find out what your resources even look like. So mm-hmm. one thing that's happening right now related to COVID that is really special and important is the rising up of the offering of telehealth services. Um, the federal government has made a way for people to get tele- telemedicine services, mm-hmm. obviously, so they don't have to go into their primary care doctor and get exposed to you know, the virus and other things right now. But the same um, lifting of those restrictions that the federal government and states are doing also relates to telemental health services. And so it actually may be a time where you can get therapy or a psychiatric evaluation more readily through teleservices than you've ever been able to do before because sort of interestingly and perhaps ironically because of the coronavirus moment that we're in. Um, so checking on your insurance website or calling your insurance, it would be the first place I would go to see if you have access to telehealth and specifically telemental health services. Um, The other thing to think about is that there are also treatment finder tools out there that are really good. And the one that we at AFSP like uh, probably the most is the SAMHSA one. It's on uh, findtreatment.samhsa.gov and MHA, the Mental Health uh, America group also has a wonderful treatment finder. And those are all on AFSP's finding treatment website as well. There are also specific treatment finders for substance use um, problems that are that are also on, on uh, AFSP's website as well as those websites. If you are somebody who struggles with substance use and addiction, the, um, the use of virtual 
12-step programs and ways to connect with your sponsor or to, to find help for the first time are also now really being messaged and made more readily available through um, the internet. And, and just one last thing, I would be remiss in, um, in always sharing that if somebody is reaching a crisis point or if someone in your life is reaching a crisis point, please know that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK is, is there for any type of crisis and for the you as the one in distress or you as the helping person um, with someone who's in your life in distress. And the same thing goes for the crisis text line. If you text the word TALK to 741741. And those are our best solid national resources that are available 24 seven. Thank you for sharing that. Physical distancing or social distancing. While I understand, and I think we all understand how necessary it is right now, why is it so difficult for us as human beings? Oh my goodness, I love this topic because we are, it's sort of invisible to us most of the time, how incredibly hardwired we are as social creatures. We just need the contact of other human beings and animals for some people, it's very important as well. Um, but, but we need human contact at a very basic primal level in the you know, core of our being and the brainstem of our, our brains. And so during a time when we need to keep physical distance, for some of us, if you're part of a family unit where no one is having to be quarantined, um, that's a, it's a simpler matter. We have each other, you're kind of hunkered down. And I think we're all finding ways to virtually connect with our friends and family and coworkers you know, who aren't right there um, in our in our physical space. Um, but I think it's the hardest on people who don't already have those networks really solidly built in. And so, for example, um, people who have pre-existing mental health conditions or who already for reasons of circumstance or demographics are already somewhat isolated. Um, now is going to be a time when some of their usual ways of having contact with, let's say you're an older person um, living in assisted living or, um, you know, an environment where you live alone. And now the, the regular social services of Meals on Wheels and other mm-hmm. uh, ways that you're, you're coming into contact with your usual support systems, even family members, are, are just sort of being disrupted and having to kind of be re, rejiggered and redefined. Um, so I, I worry the most about those individuals who have some barriers in the way of what we see happening on, on the wide scale are some beautiful and very creative ways of, of adapting and connecting. Um, and, and that is fabulous. You know, I, I, I've talked to some people at very kind of hardcore business industries of of our sector of our society who are telling me that they're talking to their colleagues now you know in some new ways just because Mm -hmm. it's this weird moment we're in that they're sharing more about how their families are doing and the ways that they're finding to cope and stay healthy and that they're kind of like in a way sort of surprised and delighted at how good that feels to to do that kind of sharing 
I'm I'm certainly seeing that in in my own life, and I think many of my colleagues as well. I mean, you know, we we now know the names of everybody's children, and you know, they show up on our video calls. And my team and I have all brought our pets to our calls, and you know, shared embarrassing pictures from our childhood. And so, you know, we're taking <laughs> these you know these moments of humanity, right? That I think we may have overlooked before because they were so accessible. And so we're getting to know each other, I think, in a way that we that we didn't have before. And perhaps that's a, you know, I'm, I'm calling it a silver lining, or maybe the flip side to physical distancing that that is certainly something I'm hopeful that we that we hold on to long, long past um, this pandemic. Could not agree with you more. It, it, it would be a remarkable thing to have our relationships deepened in a way that we realize we can do ongoing. We don't have to be in a state of, you know, a public health crisis. If you do have a friend or a loved one who is isolated and alone, like you were speaking about, are there things that we should be doing to help to help them stay connected? Are there ways, you know, um, that we can reach out? Are there ways that we can show up and, and provide support that still, you know, keep us and them safe? You know, I think we really underestimate how powerful it is just to have the the caring message come through. Mm-hmm. The simple check-in, hey, how's it going? I'm here if you want to talk. So it doesn't actually have to be a big deal. Um, in fact, I think sometimes those ways of just a short text message is a way to say, I'm thinking about you um, and I'm here, you know, f- at whatever level you want to engage, kind of also addresses that concern of, am I going to be overly intrusive? Are they going to misunderstand or think I'm being patronizing? You know, all those sorts of things that we worry about. But the quick line, um, I think, is a great way. And if they do respond, I think. Um, don't underestimate how what their response might mean in terms of how much they actually do need the connection. And so then I think offering more specific things like, you know, do you want to have virtual happy hour or um, do you want to join? I mean, you know, I'm thinking of the people who don't have those built-in friend groups so that they're not getting invited to the virtual treasure hunts and whatever all movie nights and neat things that are going on. And so just thinking about, you know, those individuals who, who others may not be including. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to another question that I have for you. So I recently heard or, or read that you can receive the positive psychological effects of connection and, and that they're, kind of less about physical proximity to somebody else and more about a felt sense of connection. So, you know, it's really, you know, an inside job, if you will. Can you talk to me about how that works? Yeah, this is so, so cool. I love this. Um, It is so true. Like, if you think about what we know about even population density, like the areas in our country that tend to have higher quality of life, lower suicide rates, et cetera, are sometimes the most unexpected places like New York City and um, the places that are the most densely populated. And um, part of that, I think, is that it, it 
it's that the the rate at which we bump into each other but it's but it's not i agree with you it's not that physical piece i mean it's nice to see people of course but you know some people actually prefer some solitude and actually are a little like it's too much to be in that kind of environment but but that population density simply allows us to have these little exchanges with people that you know what I mean when you have an unexpected conversation with someone at the checkout line or, you know, in a store or, um, or, or a stranger on the subway or a coworker where you just happen to get into something that either is encourages you. I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, they notice something you're wearing or, um, you know, for me, it's always when somebody kind of discloses, and, and so sometimes that has to be you to do the first disclosure, um, where you say something that's a little bit more from the inside, you know, um, a feeling you're having, an insight, how something made you feel, or like you thought you were the only one, you know, those kind of universal experiences that we tend to have, um, where we feel on the fringe, where we feel insecure, uh, where we feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome, those are some, to some extent very universal. And when you share that you're having something like that, it's an, potentially an immediate source of connection to the other person. It also makes you safe for them to share something a little bit deeper with as well. So it is 100% true that it's, it's that kind of communication that fills our spirits up and, and makes us feel connected um, to the larger community around us rather than physical proximity. And in fact, you know, you, here's a one really concrete way to think about it. Think about the times when you've been surrounded by people wherever at a party or at a, in a mall or a concert, and yet you feel utterly alone. That is entirely possible because it's an internal construct and feeling that you're having. Whereas you can be sitting alone in a space and never have felt more connected to the loved ones or to you know the community, to nature. All of that is, is just incredibly nourishing for, for our spirits and it helps us to keep resilient during these times. Are you worried about the state of mental health when this is over and the impact that it's gonna have on so many of us? Yes, I, I worry about that too, for sure. Um, we're we're having this shared experience, and yet for some, because of pre-existing vulnerabilities or because of their actual COVID-related experiences right now, it is big T trauma. Um, and 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 I think we as a as a group, you know, who it, as a society we we can realize that providing expressions of support and caring and appreciation for anyone who's going through the tougher experiences right now whether they are first responders healthcare workers on the front line or whether they are the people who are getting sick or the family members of those mm -hmm. who are getting sick with these oddly unique situation where we can't, family members can't even be near them um, while they are sick or even while people are dying. And that is something that is, um, is awful and, and, and where 
in at any moment of of grief we could put it into a trauma model we can also put it later on and for some already this is a period where grief is going to be present absolutely and when there is grief we need community support and so it's not a time to be withholding don't assume that since you don't have that shared experience you have no place in saying anything that is not true um you know don't avoid tell the person how much you care and that you're there for them that you that you can appreciate that they're going through something now and you want to understand it you want to be there for them um that those expressions again back to the point that you made earlier about it's that internal experience of feeling supported and feeling connected that matters the most to us as human beings so i do worry but i think we can be really proactive about that and actually see that sort of the next wave that will be coming will be one of post traumatic experience and grief. Yeah, so you led beautifully into into my next question because I I recently just read an article that said even though this is temporary we're all feeling a number of different griefs right now. So, you know, the the grief around loss of of life as we know it, normalcy and routines, the loss of control, loss of connections, all the things that you and I have talked about, you know, during during this episode. Um what is the best way and I you know, I know I think you just said it, you know, kind of staying connected, the internal feeling of feeling supported, but what are, what are some strategies outside of that to deal with loss and grief? Well, there are lots of self-care strategies that people find helpful and, you know, we're not all wired the same in that regard. So have the realization and compassion for those in your, in your circles um that people's response can be of different levels of intensity and their natural instincts about how to care for that moment of sorrow or grief can be every as different as the impulse to organize closets and then while meanwhile your loved one just needs to chill out and binge watch entertainment you know and and those are all good if they're helpful for the person to feel grounded um and more secure but you know there's a whole kind of grief um area of expertise where people who who have taken an interest in their own experiences of grief um some of them will facilitate grief support groups there is grief counseling um there are there are many different ways to access these self-care strategies as well and some of those are as simple as writing about your experiences that very act of writing like processing with a peer or a therapist can be incredibly therapeutic and protect you against what might have been the otherwise really negative impacts of grief because the truth is while none of us probably grew up in environments that taught us how to process emotions very well when we avoid them and and think that the strategy that is best is to just brush it under the rug and kind of forge through as if it never happened um that comes back around to us and and the grief or those negative unattended emotions will manifest either physically or in temper anger problems physical health problems substance use problems um you know we we can we can actually prevent some of that just by the simple act of processing through 
you know, on the, on the flip side of that, you know, I'm seeing more and more examples of very prominent leaders bringing mental health to the forefront of the conversation as a result of COVID. Do you think this collective permission to speak about mental health and, and mental illness will shape the future and hopefully will do things differently? I really do. And now I, I have a biased view of the world because this is, this is what, and I'm sure you do too, you know, this is on our minds all the time. And we are experiencing this incredible level of interest in how do I cope? How do I stay resilient? How do I thrive? Is this normal to feel this way? Give me some strategies. And it's, it really is very, very much at the core of how do we optimize our mental health that happens to be in this moment where people are hungrier and much more attuned to a feeling of really, in some cases, desperation to learn how to do that better. But what it what it ties into in the long view is the change in culture that's been happening over recent years has been tremendous in this regard. But of course, it hasn't been universal and it hasn't touched every you know, mm -hmm. community or industry or workplace culture. And, and yet now it's kind of busting through a lot of those, you know, just before the COVID moment, those still existing barriers of um, just either not realizing that it, it must be a priority because it, it it relates to so much of of life, our physical health, our workplace productivity, our you know there's so many different ramifications that can now be measured. But it's it wasn't on everyone's minds, but now suddenly it is much more so. So I think that will not be a forgotten moment or a blip. I do think that just continues to deepen the already existing kind of culture change that you know that we've been seeing. Well, I'm I'm with you, and that's something that I'm 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 really looking forward to. So we've talked about the concept of resiliency and kind of building our resiliency. What are some things that we can all be doing right now to build our resiliency for for this moment, but also the future? And also, what is your go-to resilience building strategy? Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> um, that's that's great. Okay, so let me let me speak more broadly um, first. So, you know, I, I I sort of have it in my mind as the the categories for keeping our resilience optimized and sort of protecting our mental health right now are in like two basic camps. One is the basic universal strategies that pretty much every human being needs, and those are protecting your sleep and your rest, getting. Um, the, the right kind of regular nutrition and hydration, you know, monitoring and limiting your alcohol intake. Some regular exercise actually is good for, for all human beings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as much as, you know, some feel like I'm fine without it. Um, and then I would add to that some of the other basics as well are um, create some routine and structure to each day or to your week and then staying connected as we've been talking so much about with other people. To me, those are the basics that we need to actually kind of pay attention to, to all of those to some degree during this time. And then the other category are those strategies that are kind of maybe a bit quirky and unique to you as an individual. 
And only you will know what those things are. For some people, it's going to be a certain hobby or craft or playing music, um, you know, or a certain type of exercise. Um, I mean, you name it that, you know, like, I think there are some really fun and creative things going on that are absolutely resilience building. Um, and, and we should really be celebrating that even if it comes across as kind of odd or strange to you to really appreciate that and encourage the people around you for finding those things and also for trying some new things during this time. For me personally, um, exercise has always been one of my go-to physical and mental health kind of mm. boosters and really kind of kind of packs the most punch for me. So I think, you know, the challenge during this time is that if you were going to the gym or in-person classes, you have to kind of flex with that and figure something else out. Um, what I've been doing personally is I had been going to spin class and bar method and I, I don't have a bike at home. Um, I am doing little, little kind of fun, just bike rides around the neighborhood with my family. But, um, the bar thing did go online and actually that gave me the opportunity to invite some other family members to do it with me. So that's kind of fun too, to have your own little personal group doing something positive together like that. Yeah. Um, I think the other go-to for me is making sure that in my relationship with my husband and my children, also with my coworkers, that it's the right mix of kind of like the business that we need to take care of, the business of the day and groceries and, you know, all the things that we need to be making sure we're dotting all our eyes on, but like also the balance of some fun, some laughter, some meaningful, again, like tapping into how are you doing and giving people a chance to share about that or what their, what their week is like right now for them. Like we did that around the dinner table last night, just little things like that. That's great. Yeah. For me, uh, exercise is also one of my go-tos. And I've said for a long, long time that exercise for me is much more about my mental health than it is about my physical health. Um, so I've gotten creative and I do uh, parking lot workouts now. <laughs> so <laughs> do you think, and, and we did talk a little bit more about this, do you think we'll be more mindful of our physical and mental health when this is over? You know, I think, I think so overall. I, I, I think what is so natural that will always happen as with us as human beings is we kind of do have short attention spans. So, you know, we'll be on into the next moment and it will feel a bit like a distant memory. What, you know, it will not be so vivid on our minds um, for most of us. Now, now in some ways though, I think there will be possible ramifications moving forward. Some of those good and some of those harder, um, you know, for workplaces, for the delivery of healthcare, again, um, lots of lots of good there. And I think realizing how much we can do and how much of healthcare can be delivered remotely, that that's a really important thing actually for like rural areas and for access mm -hmm. to quality mental health services, like that is huge. Um, you know, but I think too, there'll be some like getting caught up in whatever will be the next, you know, um, thing on our minds and so pressing. But I do hope that just the experience 
of seeing and feeling what works for us as individuals and collectively during a time when we do feel so kind of under threat in a way that that I think can can make an impression on us that we don't easily forget. So I am hopeful in that way. Awesome. So last question, what what makes you hopeful? I know you've already stated a few things, but what what truly makes you hopeful in this moment? Well, yeah, I've mentioned about the the actual legislative changes that have happened related to COVID about teleservices for, for medical and mental health services. I mean, that's, I think, one of the hugest things that we could take forward that could have big scale um, positive impacts for, for many different people um, and, and possibly even related to, to our cause at AFSP for suicide prevention. So that's a really big thing. Um, and we want to make sure that there isn't an automatic reverting back to the previous ways that they were so restrictive that it did, really didn't allow for a lot of healthcare to occur that way. Um, but, you know, I think on the more global scale, the thing that I am the most hopeful about is when I see like the spontaneous things that are happening in different communities around the country, the ways that, um, just for example, my my colleague who who is a training director for emergency medicine in a New York City hospital and who's been involved in disaster response for New York City and actually for the world for like decades. So he's been through trauma after trauma and disaster after disaster and sees the resiliency of of healthcare workers and and you know regular people. Um, he was sharing with me that the New York fire department, um, just firefighters had finished their dinner one evening last week and, um, without any like media involvement or any big plan or anything like 60 fire trucks pulled up in front Mm -hmm. of some of the New York hospitals and they ran their lights and they all got out of their trucks and, you know, clapped and cheered for, for the nursing staff and for the medical staff for like five minutes. And, and um, everyone came out and just feels that moment of connection and, and gratitude and being there for each other. Um, Just another example going on in New York city is every evening at 7 PM, people are leaning out their windows and clapping and cheering. If you haven't seen that on social media, it's like, Mm -hmm. it, it takes my breath away. It's just, we are so connected and yeah. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a rare moment to feel that uh, on that on that concrete and emotional level with other people, and we have that, and and we can take that with us too. I'm so grateful Christine could be with us today. Although right now, the pandemic may feel endless, we need to remind ourselves and each other that it won't be. The need for social distancing and the disruption to life as we know it is not permanent. And knowing that can make it easier to cope. Remember to focus on what you can control and find hope and joy in everyday moments. Thank you to our producers and our listeners. 
You can find the Workwell podcast series on Deloitte.com or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword Workwell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the Workwell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. Be well.